Hi, this is Scott Silkey. I'm the worship arts director here at New Life Church. We're excited that you are joining us today. I pray that today's message will encourage and inspire you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world around you. relationships that are going to help you along the way. You can't do it alone. You can't. I cannot do, walk this life as a man after God's own heart alone. There's just no way. It's impossible. We were not created for isolation. We were created for community. And where community is involved, there's strength. Okay? So open your Bibles with me to Second uh, Samuel chapter 9. And like I said, this sermon went kind of all over the place. I hope it has a linear, <laughs> hope it's a little linear than it could be. But we're going to start with a passage that kind of speaks to the honorable nature of, of King David. The honorable nature. Last week we talked about one of the uh, times in David's life that was not honorable. But this is something that David does that is honorable. And then I want to kind of backtrack. I want to start with this, backtrack to where, like, how did David become this? Why, would, why did he do this? What was going on here? So, 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 3. I'm going to read through 7. It says this. So, so the king asked, is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? Okay, where does this question come from? David is now king. <clears throat> Saul is dead. And David is asking uh, one of Saul's attendants, is there anybody else in the kingdom that is related to Saul or Jonathan that I might show God's kindness to? Now, this is an interesting concept, that I might show God's kindness to. Remember Saul? He was the guy who was hunting David. Okay. And in a regular succession of, of kingship that is not uh, a family succession, in that time you would find all of the people that belonged to the house of the previous king and you would kill them. The new king would kill the old family. Why? Because they're a threat to his reign. Now David is doing that very same thing but under different circumstances. <clears throat> he says, the king said to, uh, let me see, where are we? Verse 3, verse 4. It said, Ziba answered the king. This is the servant of Saul. You'll find how in Lodabar, at the house of Mishir, son of Emel, so king, so, so king David had him brought up out of Lodabar. Now, who is this guy? This is a guy by the name of Mephibosheth. Try to say that five times fast. Mephibosheth, 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 right? It's, it's a very uh, a long name, and it's not very common these days. If you really want to stick out, guys, you want to you know, have something to talk about when people ask what your child's name is, name him Mephibosheth. I dare you. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell face down, and paid homage. David said, Mephibosheth. And uh, he replied, I am your servant. David said to him, Do, uh, uh, don't be afraid. 
since I intended to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. David is treating the grandson of the man who tried to have him killed on multiple occasions, occasions like his son. You're going to come to the, you're going to come to the palace. You're going to enjoy all of the benefits of sonship. You are going to sit at my table and eat the royal meals. And above and beyond that, you're going to have an inheritance that should have been taken away from you because of uh, Saul's terrible actions in life. I'm going to give all that back to you. All the field, everything that uh, was belonged to Saul is now yours as an inheritance. Why is he doing this? So just to give you some background on Mephibosheth. He had a difficult child early on with the news of his father and grandfather's passing on the same day. Young Mephibosheth was taken away from his home by his nurse probably to avoid the um, to avoid retaliation from enemies. Unfortunately, in the process of escaping, he was accidentally thrown to the ground and his feet were permanently maimed. As a child, he had his feet crushed and he was a uh, he was handicapped for the rest of his life. Okay? In that culture, that's bad. There was no handicap access. <laughs> there was you didn't have um, access to a lot of things. You were kind of considered, and many people thought it was a judgment of God on you that when you were handicapped. So he's, he's got a tough life. So when the new king and former enemy of his grandfather requests his presence before him, chances are it's nothing good. Say, all right, come, come, come to me. You can guess that Mephibosheth must have been feeling fear, element of anxiety, because he knows how things go. He had already gone through so much in his life due to his childhood injury and losing his father and grandfather at a young age. So I can only imagine he was hopeful. He wasn't hopeful that the meeting would go well. Yet David showed him kindness and treated him like a son. Why? Well, I think there's two reasons. One, I think this is a foreshadowing. Remember, David is a Messiah figure, and the true Messiah will come from the lineage of David, right? I think this is a foreshadowing of what, of what the Messiah would do. He would take his enemies, and he would bring them into his home, redeem them, and, help, and treat them like sons, treat them like Children of, of the king. Isn't that a cool, cool thought? The other reason is because of David's love for Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan. See, David didn't shy away from close relationships, especially with other, other guys. In fact, when David that is, is at the uh, loss of strong, he has a loss of strong male figures in his life, is when he is at his weakest. Michael referred to that last week in his sermon. He sent all of his mighty men, all of his men off to war, and he was isolated in the palace. And we all know 
what boredom can do when there's no one watching our back. Boredom and apathy are the devil's playground. It, it really is. Isolation is so dangerous for us, and we have lived in a culture, our culture today, that celebrates isolation. Let me just take you, for instance, if you walk out of these doors, you will walk into a dystopian future when it comes to malls. Right? How many people have gone to a mall recently and noticed that there's not many shops open? Right? So there's been research done as to why malls are failing. I'll tell you why malls are failing according to this research. The research is malls were at their peak in the 1980s and 1990s because that's where people went to hang out. They would meet at the mall. They'd go to the food court. They'd go shopping. They would have social time. Everything that the mall did for people is now reproduced digitally. So we don't hang out together face-to-face -face anymore. We do FaceTime. It's a lot easier, less gas money. We don't hang out together. We, <clears throat> we IM each other. We post things. We do things. Why, why is that such a bad thing? I want to tell you, it's not a bad thing in and of itself, but if it's, if it's a substitute for real human connection, it's bad. We are social creatures, and when we get isolated, the enemy has a field day with us. Guys, I'm talking to you for a second. You need to be careful about boredom. You need to be careful about isolation. Because the devil is going to have a heyday with your brain. Nothing good comes from a, uh, a dude sitting at a computer with no one around. We have a rule in our house, no technology in the, in the bedroom. My kids, they can't bring their tablets, their phones, they can't do that. They, they have no TV, they have no uh, computers in their bedrooms. If they want to look at uh, their tablet, they have to do it in, in the family room. If they Why do we do this? Because we're terrible parents and we're anti-technology. Exactly. No, because I know, because all the years I've worked with youth, <clears throat> that some of the worst problems in, a, in young men's lives have happened when they're isolated, when they're bored, and they have access to technology. It's not real. We need the real. So where does this come from? At the point of David's confrontation with Goliath, remember we talked about Goliath a few weeks ago, Jonathan and David became BFFs. I was told that's cool talk. I think it's like, you're such a nerd, Dad. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, they, they became best friends, like really close friends. <clears throat> really close friends. So let's read about it. 1 Samuel 18, 1 says, when David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in a close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. That's a lot of, I mean, that's what Jesus asked. That's what the gospel, love others as, if you, as you love yourself. That's something that the gospel talk about. Jonathan and David were such close friends. And this is so important. Uh, July 6, 2018, 
Greg Morris wrote an article for DesiringGod.org entitled, Men Under Fire, Why We Need Male Friends. I want to let you in a little secret, ladies. You are better at making friends than your husband or your brother. You are. You're just better at it. Guys, we stink at it. We do. But let me just read this article, to, part of this article to you. Although men have been trained to deny it, we desire friendship. When honesty, uh, when honesty prevails, grown men miss the day of wooden sword fighting, tackle football in the backyard, and watching the karate kid past bedtime. <laughs> Does not mean it was him. A strange ache groans through the cracks of our self-sufficiency. And it's not as though boyhood can't be found. Boyhood, brotherhood can be, cannot be found. We see examples of it in at least two places outside the church. The military and gangs. Warfare, it seems, breeds a brotherhood foreign to peacetime. A brother is born for and created in adversity. Psalms 17, 7, or Proverbs 17, 17. The fires of combat meld men into brothers. And here lies the great irony. And I love this part of this article. Christian men fight the greatest war imaginable, yet rarely experience such com com comradeship. We are de deployed against the uh, supernatural enemy. And as shells fly all around us, we split up each his own way. We battle for higher stakes than any other conflict the world has known. And we go for it solo. <clears throat> and as we individually charge the enemy's machine gun nests, we w wonder why we are routinely cut down. Foolishness and pride, not courage and faith, lead us to storm the gates of hell alone. As Christian men, we sit on the white horse, generals of our families and churches, while Satan snaps at us with a special persistence. We are men on fire, under fire, not on fire. That would be weird. We are men under fire. Listen to this. And men under fire survive where a man under fire does not. Men under, under fire survive while a man under fire does not. Okay, I'm going to stop preaching just to the men for a little while now, okay? But I think it's important. Guys, we need each other. <clears throat> That's why uh, Michael Sipek and John uh, Jacks are constantly trying to get our men to mobilize together, not because we need another thing to do, but because it's so vitally important to our spiritual survival men and our Ability to be honorable leaders in our work, in our homes, in our churches. Now, let's shift to a more general understanding of what we're talking about today. <clears throat> Here's three reasons why close, godly friends will help you maintain an honorable heart. This goes for men and women alike. We need godly people in our lives to help us in this battle. So 1 Samuel, this is why, this is why David was able to be honorable to Mephibosheth, 1 Samuel chapter 20, 12 through 17. By the Lord, the God of Israel, I will sound out my father. This is Jonathan talking to David. 
by this time tomorrow or the next day. If I find out that he is favorable toward you, will I not send you, uh, send for you and tell you? If my father intends to bring evil to you, may the Lord punish Jonathan, myself, and do, uh, and do so severely if I do not tell you and send you away so you may leave safely. What is he saying to him at this point? He's like, David, I got your back. I got your back. Friends, th those important friends, they have your back. They're going to take care of you when everybody else walks away. They are going to put themselves on the line to make sure that you are safe. They are going to do the hard things to make sure you don't wander. They've got your back. It's so vitally important that we as, uh, as, as honorable people, as people after the heart of God, are mingling and sharpening one another to be everything that God has called us to be. But we need somebody who's in our corner, who's got our back. And then Jonathan goes on to say this, May the Lord be with you just as he was with my father. If I continue to, uh, to live, show me kindness from the Lord. But if I die, do every, uh, don't ever withdraw your kindness from my helper. This is Jonathan asking David, if I bite it in battle, if God judges my father by, uh, by uh, wiping his family out, please, Make a vow with me today that you will not harm my progeny. Okay? It says, don't ever withdraw your kindness from my household, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Then Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord hold David's enemies accountable. What is he actually saying there? He's saying, may the Lord hold my dad and my family, which is me, <laughs> Jonathan's saying this, responsible for the trouble that you are going through, David. Jonathan once again swore to David in his love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. In Jonathan, David had a person who had his back. We all need that person. I would hope that there's a, there's a, a mental picture of an individual popping into your brain right now. That person's got my back. If you don't have that, you need to seek that out. We'll talk a little bit more about how we get that a little later. <clears throat> the second thing that we need uh, from other people, from close friends in our, uh, in our lives to help us to become men and women after God's own heart, is someone who will share the pain. Someone who will share the pain. 1 Samuel 20, verse 41. This is following uh, this conversation that David had with, with Jonathan. And, and it comes to find out, Jonathan comes to find out that, yes, Saul is trying to kill David. And Saul actually says to Jonathan, he says, hey, Jonathan, as long as David and his family lives, your inheritance is at risk. We have to kill this kid or you're going to lose the kingdom someday. So he appeals to Jonathan to try to get him on his side. And Jonathan's not having anything to do with that. So he goes and he warns David with a very elaborate kind of thing. But anyway, this is where we're going. <clears throat> as soon as the boy was gone, David came out from where he had been hiding near the stone pile. 
Then David bowed three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both were in tears as they embraced. Some translations say as they kissed. And each other, as each, each other and said goodbye. But David wept especially. Especially David. Proverbs 17, 17 says this. A friend loves at all times. And brothers are born for adversity. Do you have, maybe it's the same person as the first person, but do you have somebody who will sit in Sheba for you, who will sit with you in your grief, who will be there when you're at your lowest point and will weep with you and will cry with you and will hold you up when you have no strength? Do you have that person? We all need that person. Now, that may be the same person as the first, but it might not. We need people around us to go through life with. You're not going to get that through Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. You need a person, a shoulder to cry on, someone who's going to uh, hug you. Listen, I, 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 three people coming to my mind right now who if I'm in my low spot, they're my first calls. One, two, and three. If I can't get a hold of the first, go to the second. Don't tell them which one. They are. <laughs> thing number one, thing number two, thing number three. But I know that if I can get a hold of these people on the phone, they're going to, number one, they're going to say, because they are like me, they're going to say, let's get coffee together. That's, that's encouraging right there. Let's go get some coffee. Let's talk this thing out. And here's the other thing they're going to do. They're not going to try to fix my problem. Hey, dudes in the room. When your wife wants to talk about her problems, most likely she doesn't want you to try to fix them. I am a fixer. That's what I do. I am man. <laughs> We're fixers. We build stuff. We create stuff. We tear them down and we put them back together. <laughs> right? So the idea is this. When we are, when we are talking to other people, we got to be careful that we don't try to always just be there. Be a shoulder to cry on. The Bible says uh, people in Christ will rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. There's so much power in just being there for somebody. So, number one, we need somebody who has our back. Number two, we need someone uh, to share their, our pain. And the last one for today, and there's other things too, but these are three key things that Jonathan and David, uh, that David had through Jonathan. The last thing they need to do is they, they need to be, have someone who can strengthen your faith. In a world where there's uh, people picking at your faith all the time, just picking away at it, trying to, to dissuade you from being a faithful follower of Christ, trying to disprove things, you need someone who's going to come alongside you and say, Hey, Davy boy, it's real. You are going through a tough time right now, but I'm telling you, God's with you. Encourage you in your faith. You need somebody who's going who's gonna to not, who's going to cry with you, but is not going to wallow with you. Does it make any sense? It's not going to be like, just make you feel better by confirming all your bad thoughts. No, 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 no. Dave, listen. God's got this. 
It may seem dark right now, but God's here. He's with us. Let's, let's pray together. Let's, let's sit together. Let's drink more coffee. Coffee heals. No. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's just, let's, let's not be a people that loses faith when something bad happens. We need somebody who's going to encourage us in our faith. First um, Samuel chapter 23, verse 15. Jonathan does this. It says, David was in the wilderness of Ziph in Horesh when he saw that Saul had come out to take his life. Then Saul's son Jonathan came to David in Horesh and encouraged him in his faith in God. Wow. Wouldn't it be awesome to have a friend who not only was there when you needed them, when you was, was there when you called them, but also could see, because they care about you, without you even asking, going to you and encouraging you in your faith. They had eyes to see that, you know, hey, Dave's having a rough time. I can see this. I have a relationship enough with him because I'm not just on Instagram or, or social media that substitute relationships. I have seen David. I know him in his good times, and I know when he's going through it, and I can sense he's going through it. So I'm going to go to him. I'm going to take it upon myself, my own initiative, to go to him and encourage him in his faith. Now, that's a relationship that takes a long time to cultivate. Someone who knows you well enough that they can sense that you need them to uh, encourage you in faith. And he said to this, don't be afraid. For my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel and I'll be your second in command. Look at this. Look at the humility in this person of Jonathan. He's like, I, I'm going to, not only am I going to keep my dad from doing anything to you, I am going to submit myself under your leadership, which by succession should be mine. Dave, I'm here for you, man. I am your second, I will be your second in command. I will help you along the way. Even my father Saul knows it's true. Then the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence. We need a friend who calls the best out of us. Not a friend who agrees with us all the time. We, we need a friend who doesn't take our invitations to the pity party. But calls the best out of us. Someone who sees us for who we are and what we could be if we follow Christ and then encourages us to, in our faith. Calling out of us, write this down if you're, if you're taking notes. We need somebody who will call out of us what God has placed in us. It's already there. We just need somebody to call. Now, this will be, those of you who are married, this will be your spouse from time to time. But the dynamic of marriage sometimes makes that very muddy. You need somebody else. Women, you need a, no, another woman who can call out of you what God has already put in you. Men, you need another guy who can call out of you what God has already put in you to help you be the best version of you. It's so vitally important. I am a person who is constantly on the, out, on the lookout for mentors. When I left uh, Torrington to come to New Life, I pretty much left all my mentors. 
So just recently, I had a conversation with a man that I respect who's down the road of ministry farther than I am. He's older than me is what that means. I'm trying to be polite here. He's ancient. No, no. Dude, who's down the road, who I respect, and I said, listen, would it be okay if you and I got together maybe once or twice a month? I just, I, I need strong men, male mentors in my life. That's, I hope that's wisdom. That's what the books tell me it is that I read, leadership books. If you don't have somebody like that, you can ask for that. Go to somebody that you respect and say, listen, I, I, I need a mentor. Would you be willing to meet with me and have coffee? It's all about the have water with me. It's not the, see, it's not the same. Come on. This is actually water, by the way. Tea? Yeah, okay. Ladies, you can have tea. No. Um, but you can, you can go, you can ask for that. And I'm telling you, I don't want to you know, feel like I, I don't want to bother people. If you went to somebody and said, I want you to mentor me, how, how much do you think that would do for that guy's ego? Whoa! Somebody actually wants me to invest? I, nine times out of ten, they're going to say yes. So seek it out. The kind of relationship that David had with Jonathan makes David a more honorable man and allows him to honor Jonathan and even Saul like this. 2 Samuel 1, 24 says this. And this is David singing a song in honor of Jonathan and Saul, which is crazy. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you with scarlet, with luxurious things, who decked, uh, uh, decked your garments with gold ornaments. How the mighty have fallen in the thick of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were such a friend to me. Your love for me was more wonderful than that of a woman. How the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war have perished. Godly, supportive, life-giving friendships are so important to the Christian walk. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For either falls, his, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if we lie down together, they can keep each other warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not equally broken. Wait a minute, hold on a second. I thought we were talking about two. And all of a sudden, at the very end of this, he, he throws in a third cord. My understanding of this is that Christ is the third cord. God is the third cord. When you and some other, some other person come together under the banner of Christ, man, there's power in that. There's power in that. It's not easily broken. But by yourself, in isolation, the devil's going to have a field day with you. The Bible recognizes that godly friends help us grow spiritually. 
Proverbs 17, a godly friend loves at all times. Proverbs 18, a true friend will stick closer than a brother. Proverbs 27, this uh, t- uh, criticism from a Christian friend can keep us accountable. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says, if we stumble, the good friend will help us up. And Romans 12 says, regardless of the circumstances, believers need to be godly friends, honoring others above themselves. So the Bible, Bible understands and, 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 and really pushes us to have close friendships that are going to strengthen us. And this, this, this uh, applies to the church. John 15 says this. Am I right here? Yeah, John 15 says this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. Romans 12, 9 says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Now, I'm just going to step aside for a second. Guys, I know all this love talk is awkward for you. When we talk about guys loving guys, that gets weird for us. But why is that? The Bible has no problem with these terminologies. Why is this? I'll tell you why. Because we live in an over-sexualized culture. We can't even comprehend the concept of love that is not physical. The Bible has multiple words for love, and this um, this concept of loving your brother. Man, I am so grateful for guys in my life that I can say they love me and I love them. And it's not weird. You're like that's weird, Pastor. It's not. Okay, we have to get over this because we need loving relationships. Women, you are so much better at this. You are so much better at this. Guys, we need to come out of our shell and stop being such prudes. Love must be sincere in Romans 12. Galatians 6 says this, carry each other's burdens, and in that way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Guys can get into that one. I can carry a burden. <laughs> right? Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. John 13, 34, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The honorable love between David and Jonathan is the kind of love that the church is supposed to emulate. Where else in our culture, you can't get it at the mall anymore. That relationship, that camaraderie, that that connection. Where else in our culture do you get these things? I think the church is a prime place to build relationships. So what I'm saying is this. Don't shy away from getting involved in the church. This is where relationships happen. This is where life happens. This is where you can build friendships that are going to call the best out of you. And breathe new life into you sit with you when you're hurting. If we 
could be this kind of friend to others, it would be hard. It wouldn't be hard to win the world. That's what Christ said. They will know you are my disciples by how you live. If we could embody this type of relationship that Jonathan and David had, it would not be as hard to win the world. Because why? I'm telling you why. Because the world is lonely. The world is lonely. I was reading some statistics. Uh, again, some of this stuff ended up on the cutting room floor. But I was reading some statistics this past week about young male suicide rates. There are through the roof in both the U.S. and the U.K. In a world where we're so connected, the primary reason for these people feeling despondent was they just had no hope and they had no real friends. Talk about needing somebody to literally call you off the ledge. And that's just men. Women are, women are at a higher rate of suicide today than any time in American history. Why is that? We're the most affluent. We're the most connected. We're the most technologically advanced. We're the most, um, we're supposed to be the most healthy. We have all these things. Why are we so despondent? I'll tell you why. Because there's a spiritual vacuum in our culture today. And we have no connection greater than the, um, the swipe of a thumb on your phone. We have to be countercultural in this concept, or we are going, it's literally life and death nowadays. We have to be people who build close, real relationships. That's how you thrive in this world. So let me ask you some questions. Do you have someone who has your back? Think about it for a second. Do I have somebody? Who's got my back? Do I have a first phone call? If that question is like, oh, I don't know. Or it's like, well, I have a lot of friends. But I don't really have a call. I don't have a phone number that I can call. That's something that should be worked towards. Do you have someone who can share your pain? Not just a friend who you like hang out with and go to movies to on a on a uh, Friday night or go bowling with or just not a superficial friend, but somebody who you know that if it hits the fan, they're going to sit with you. And they're not going to be like, well, I've got to go now. They're going to give you time. Do you have somebody who will strengthen your faith? Now, here's the thing. The number one and the number two person, the one who has your back, the one who can be with you in your pain, they don't necessarily have to be Christians. I think it's helpful. But I'm telling you, I know some people who some of their best, and that's kind of it's kind of sad in a way, and it's kind of, you know, they have some friendships that are outside the church that are like, Thick as thieves, man. They are just connected. But do you have that person who's going to come in and is going to be able to strengthen your faith when your faith is wavering? When you're going through the dark night of the soul 
And you're like, where is God? And that person shows up and says, God's right here with me and with you. Let's pray. God's got a plan for you. You may be able to see it right now, but God's got something for you. I know it. I know it. God wouldn't have brought you to this place to leave you here. He's going to take you. I mean, that kind of person. Do you have that person? Now, the trick thing is this. If you want to have that kind of person in your life, and you don't already, start being that person for somebody else. Start being that. A man who has friends must show himself friendly. And there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. If you want those types of relationships, you need to be that type of person. It's not a one... (laughs) Those relationships aren't built one way. I'm just going to be honest with you. They're not built one way. I, I need somebody who can cry with me. When's the last time you sat with somebody when they were going through something? I need somebody who's got my back. I have nobody who's got my back. Whose back do you got? If you want that, you've got to be that. And if you don't have it, start being it now and you will get it. It's inevitable. So just some things I want you to take away from today. First off, if you don't have those people, those three categories of people in your life, open your eyes and start to try to cultivate those relationships. It's vitally important. Okay? Young men, look at me, young men, you need a mentor. You need a mentor, and it can't be a girl. And here's another thing. It can't be your dad. Now, I'm not saying that's not you know, dads and kids. Man, my, my son, he and I are super close. But I am thankful for guys like John Jackson, who is a mentor to Lincoln that can say things that he's going to go roll his eyes when I say it. Oh, dad. Do you see what I'm saying? Young men, seek out a mentor. I'm for. 45 years old. Young man. I'm still seeking out mentors. I need that in my life. Especially as, as we do get older, our, some, of our, some of our great mentors start to, to leave us. We have to supplement, we have to re-supplement those leadership people in your life. And the last thing I want to say is this. Please, please, please hear me when I say, I am not anti-technology, but I have a great love for real. If your technology is a substitute for the real, time to put it in a shelf and start cultivating things that are real. Remember that the thing in your pocket is a tool, not not there to make you a tool. <laughs> it's a tool to be used, but it's not a substitute for the real. Does that make sense? If you are, let's just put it this, if you are over 45 today, women are like, I am not standing up for this. That's why I'm picking on guys today. If you are over 45, gentlemen, stand up. Gentlemen in the room, stand up. 
over 45. That's you, Bob. Stand up. No, no, stand up. Young men, look around. Look around. Look around. You would be blessed. You would be blessed to have one of these guys mentor you. Yeah. Look around. And this is just to you guys. Listen, gentlemen, over 45 years old. Invest in the next generation of men, please. They have so many mixed messages coming their way about what man should be, what a man shouldn't be, what, what virtue is and what virtue is not. Invest in the next generation of men or we're going to lose them. We're going to lose them. God, I pray for these men right now. Our culture is attacking manhood. And I know this series has been very heavily skewed that way, but maybe, that's, maybe it's a time we're in. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would help these men that are over 45 today to lead with distinction and honor. That they would not neglect the generation that's coming after them because they don't necessarily understand the generation but they would invest, pray for, and give time and copious amounts of coffee to the next generation. You guys can go. Yeah, yeah. And if you're like 44, you're not off this hook, okay? Lord, be with my brothers and sisters today. God, I pray that we would be the church that you want us to be that we would be a people that are about people, that we would uh, not shy away from the difficult moments in other people's lives, that we would be a resource for our brothers and sisters in this room. For when we go through difficult things, when our faith is challenged, our faith is shaken, Lord, I pray that we would be people in this room that would come alongside and say, no, God is here, God is with you, he wants the best things for you, don't lose heart. I pray that many, recorded strands would exist in this family church. Lord, be with us. Help us to take this stuff uh, for, uh, for, not take it for granted, but to be seriously about trying to find people who can support us in life so that we can be honorable Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you want to find out more about New Life Church, you can connect with us at discovernewlife.org. We hope to see you soon.